what is it, national religious broadcasters recognize your contribution? They don't. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, there's been a lot of people... Uh, This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Everybody and his brother for years has been talking about revival. Prayers going up for revival. In fact, one party told me that there have been so many prayers go up for revival over the past 20 years that God is obligated to send a revival. Well, what does a revival look like? What is revival anyway? One person told me on the air, a pastor was talking to me, and he said, well, a revival looks like a lot of people coming to Christ. In other words, evangelism. No, that might be the result of a revival, but that's not a revival because those that are being evangelized were never alive from a spiritual standpoint. They were dead. The only ones that can be revived are those that were once alive in Christ. That's why they need to be revived. And so the Bible tells us about revival. In fact, in Psalm 85, it talks about reviving us again. We used to have a song that we would sing, Revive us again, fill each soul with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Revive us again. So what does it look like? Does it look like uh, Jonathan Edwards there in uh, the 1700s preaching his sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that spawned the first great awakening? in the United States and the East Coast? Does it look like the Second Great Awakening? Well, Charles Charles Finney was speaking so profoundly, and they said that when he spoke, it was as if uh, a rifle was going off in the churches. Is that what it looks like? What does revival look like? Does it look like a lot of mega churches gathering a lot of people from other congregations into an ever-larger mega church? Is that a revival, or may it be just the opposite of a genuine revival? Today we want to talk about this subject of revival. Is it about reformation or something else? There's a lot of confusion about this issue of revival, and hopefully today we might be able to remove some of that confusion, but in order to do it, we've got to look back in history. The only thing we learn from history is we don't learn from history, we're told. And hopefully today we will learn something from history. I'm looking right now at a book called Why Revival Terrors by Leonard Ravenhill. Why Revival Terrors? I have 17 books in my library specifically dedicated to the subject of revival. 17 books. Leonard Ravenhill says, Revival tarries because of cheapening of the gospel. It it continues and tarries because of carelessness. Revival tarries because of fear. Revival tarries because we lack urgency in prayer. 
revival terriers, we are substituting propaganda for the propagation of the gospel. Finally, he says, revival terriers, because we steal the glory that belongs to God. So why does revival tarry? And so I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. In the kingdom of God, God has always had his specialists, said A.W. Tozer, whose chief concern has been the moral breakdown, the decline of the spiritual health of the nation or the church. They appeared at critical moments in history to reprove, to rebuke, and exhort in the name of God and righteousness. Tozer goes on to say such a man was likely to be drastic, radical, possibly at times violent, and the curious crowd that gathered to watch him work soon branded him as extreme or fanatical or negative. But he was single-minded, severe, fearless, and these were the qualities the circumstances demanded. It shocked some, frightened others, and alienated not a few, but he knew who had called him and what he was sent to do. His ministry was geared to the emergency, a man set apart. So I have a question for you today as we launch into the deep concerning this matter of revival. Are we in a spiritual emergency today in America and around the world? Is there a need for genuine, massive revival among those who profess the name of Christ? To help us with this conversation here today, I have invited a longtime friend who has joined us so many times here on this program, Michael Austin, to join us here again today to talk about the history of Reformation and revival. He represents Christian History Magazine, and he's joining us again here today to talk about it. Michael, it's so good to have you on the program. Thank you, Chuck. It's great to be with you, and thank you for that wonderful introduction to the subject. Well, we, as I said, we used to sing this song, Revive Us Again. Revive us again. And we had words that we used, but I wonder just how much we really wanted revival because genuine revival requires change. In fact, it requires often massive change, transformation in our lives, doesn't it? Yes, and uh, I think we come to the conclusion that people just simply do not want to change I'm a, I'm a, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm guilty of that myself. No. Uh, but every time I uh, get into a situation in my personal life where uh, where I'm forced to change, I rejoice because uh, you know without fail, it, it always uh, causes um, something to rejoice about. Uh, but don't we resist it? And this is uh, this this particular issue is a, a great example. They provide us with so many examples over these um, many centuries that it covers. I mean, it's a vast. <clears throat> they've taken on a vast sixth century uh, a journey here through um, so many situations with so many great great people of the past that um, were were in need and willing uh, to make a change. And many of them uh, lost their lives, uh, were martyred 
uh, burned at the stake and so forth. We mm. know this, many of them, but uh, here, the, here we are. Well, that's true, and the interesting thing is that over the past 40, 50 years in America, it's almost as if we've substituted political revival for spiritual revival, or at least they compete against each other dramatically. We even had a president not too long ago who promised us uh, that five days before his inauguration, he said, we are just five days away from the fundamental transformation of America. He called it change you can believe in. Well, the kind of change he brought about was so destructive to the country and is echoing through the membranes of people's minds and politics and even the church to this moment. So change alone is not revival, is it? Thank you. Absolutely. We're not talking about uh, just change. We're talking about, um, I think I think what this issue is taking up more, more really than revival, although it is uh, uh, a theme throughout, and that is reform. Uh, yeah. Um, I well, think we're going to have to pick up on that issue of reform in just a moment. Stay tuned right after this break. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. There's the reform movement and there's the revival movement. Are they the same? How do they differ? Whatever its origins, this uh, the revival movement and or the reform movement captures something about not just the reform tradition, but the whole Christian story. Over and over again, the cycle keeps repeating. The church seems to be growing distant from its vibrant beginning. The last moment of vibrant transformation fading from our memory. And then a new revival preacher appears, or a group of reformers. Lives are changed, society is altered, promises are held out that perhaps this time the kingdom will be ushered in. This time, if only we were back in first century Palestine, if only we were to recover the spirit and the power of those first disciples, like the message of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I think one of the problems, Michael, is that we just don't really believe the kingdom of heaven is near. We're more concerned about the kingdom of earth. Yes, I would agree with that, and I think uh, that has been that has plagued the church from the very beginning. Um, that and the fact that uh, the enemy has come into the church and has been operating in the church from the very beginning. Um, Jesus and Paul pointed this out to us. Uh, we don't seem to have gotten a message yet. No, and even the Apostle Paul, I mean, he did write all these epistles. They were letters to the churches, and they had problems. They had problems, the, uh, theological problems. They had practical life problems. 
uh, that were contrary to the word, the will, or the ways of God. And so he was probably, he was constantly bringing uh, correction in righteousness and exhortation and so on. It was a kind of revival message, but it was a pastoral kind of message. Strong, yes, but also very pastoral, wasn't it? Yes, and uh, that that is uh, observed in this issue uh, by a couple of the writers that um, uh, the, the stories that they're telling were were those of reform and revival among the I would call them the professional Christians. Uh huh. The clergy, and, uh, as they say. The clergy. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, Jesus hated that. Um, that is a separation between laity and clergy. Mm-hmm. I think he makes that abundantly clear, but we we just haven't gotten the message, or we haven't. Um, we get the message every Sunday, it seems, and then uh, <laughs> you know, five minutes later we. We're stop. supposed to get the message every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not quite so much because if we get so much of it, too much of it. We might actually change and have genuine revival and reformation. Well, I would say it's badly delivered and badly heard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Problems on both sides of the equation. And, um, I mean, of late, uh, we, we, you mentioned emergency. I, would, I held my hand in the air because there is an emergency. Thank uh, you. There is a fire burning. And uh, that fire is consuming churches by the dozens every week. Yeah. And it's uh, consuming all of the people. And in in many respects, it's, cons- it's consuming those who are being trusted to deliver the message because those who are trusted to deliver the message are conforming ever more so to the standard of the people. And so it's yes. as if it's a, uh, what do they call it, um, there's a term for relying on one another and being imprisoned by that relying upon one another, uh, co-something. I thought you were going to say the blind leading the blind. <laughs> well, that's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what, Michael? We have used this phrase. Uh, I, I believe that God gave me this simple little phrase many, many years ago to describe much of the trouble that we have within God's house. And it's called the power, the power, perks, and position. It not only describes the struggle within God's own house, it describes the struggle of humanity and uh, our political system and so on. Power, perks, and position. The pursuit of those three things as fundamental is the root of, of all of our resistance to God and our resistance to his message for reformation and for revival, I think. Oh, yeah, I have to hand it to the uh, the choice of the editors and the articles they, they have chosen and written in this issue because one after another describes exactly what you just said, that um, these reforms and these revivals were a response to the corruption in the established church. And it goes on today. It, uh, it's throughout the, the history. That's what reform and revival uh, has, has been all about. And um, sadly, 
that I think that's why they are so short-lived. Mm. They come and they go. Yeah. Uh, when, when people see what the reality is, that they're going to have to do fundamental change, then uh, their interest is um, is waning. And uh, It's interesting. You know, we, You know, as, as people, it's no wonder that Moses had such a struggle with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. He had two and a half million folk here who... Uh, you know, would come in repentance, and two or three days later, they would be back to the same old business as usual, uh, rebelling against God, murmuring, complaining. Uh, pastors are having to deal with the same situation today. Uh, it, it's almost as if the spirit of rebellion has multiplied and become so deeply enrooted in, 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 in our lives, our ways, and so on, that the resistance is almost beyond even the ability of the Holy Spirit to reach us. And Jesus brought this to the attention of the of the established church leaders by saying to them, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but saying to him, you don't believe because you don't believe in Moses. He wrote of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote of me. And he wrote, but... Uh, you know, today we'd say, "Well, that's all. You, that's all she wrote." <laughs> you know, okay. Yeah. Well, that's it. We're we're going to move on now. We're going to move on now. Okay. So let's let's move on. Uh, first of all, we're talking today about a particular issue of Christian History Magazine called "Revival: The First Thousand Years After uh, Christ." Of course, it actually it leads us up into uh, the point of the Reformation around fifteen hundred. Uh, A.D. But for those who are not familiar with this magazine, uh, take a couple of minutes here and share the vision of this magazine because it comes out uh, regularly. And uh, I have been uh, doing this interview with you for many, many years. And even before that was collecting these magazines. I'm looking at them right now. I have dozens of them. Mm. Uh, So tell us about uh, Christian History Magazine. Well, the man who started it, Ken Curtis, was a film documentarian um, in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. and he was one of the producers of The Cross and the Switchblade, starring uh, Pat Boone, as we know. It was a, a, a great uh, film that was a crossover film, uh, Christians and uh, non-Christians uh, viewing it, that was before the day that you know, we can only go to the church, uh, to the church, <laughs> to the theater once in a while for a one-day screening of a of a Christian movie. Yeah, this uh, this was David long. Wilkerson, right? That's right. The story of David Wilkerson and um, uh, Cruz, mm-hmm. um, who was a gangbanger. Nikki Cruz, uh, yeah. Nikki Cruz, um, uh, Wilkerson was a pastor in New Jersey. He was traveling over to New York to, uh, uh, in recognition of that situation, and he had a heart for these guys on the street. Um, I do, too, because I'm living in a place right now that serves the homeless and street people. Mm. And, wow, what an education this is. But, I'm sure. Um, Ken, yeah, Ken was, uh, became, uh, was aware, and, and as, uh, as a result of that film, I think contributed to his uh, conviction, if you will, 
that uh, we Christians just don't know anything, hardly anything, about the history of the faith. And mm-hmm. because of that, we're we're doomed to repeat its mistakes, and we're seeing that today yeah. um, over and over and over again. I keep saying this to people, uh, and they keep agreeing, but it, it never changes. Uh, we, we make these mistakes because we're not aware. We're going through um, huge, huge uh, societal changes that the Church has gone through in the past. And mm-hmm. one, of, one of the remarkable things about this issue is that that comes out in a couple of these issues where there, it's like reading the, uh, today's newspaper uh, headlines. <laughs> it is. It's very similar. History repeating itself. And again, what they say, the only thing you learn from history is we don't learn from history, and those who do, don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And so we're repeating it on steroids and uh, still don't get the message. So here we are uh, trying to shed a little bit of light on this here today. How can people get a copy of uh, Christian History magazine? Thankfully, that's really easy, unless they're not using the Internet. And uh, God bless you that you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, those who are uh, can just go to um, uh, christianhistorymagazine.org or... Mm -hmm. Uh, the uh, the first page that pops up will be this issue of the magazine, and they can start reading it immediately mm. using the reader on the lo- online. But wow, what a what a great resource this is! It's in schools from uh, uh, early um, the early grades right up through college and PhD yep. level. That's how bad our education system is. You know, I think this Um, would be a great tool for parents, uh, for kids, uh, say, uh, age 12 and up, particularly, uh, to go through this, uh, for homeschoolers uh, to uh, use this magazine as a means of uh, giving them a depth of understanding they're not going to get anywhere else. They're just not going to get it anywhere else. It's unique. It's absolutely unique. And now the ministry, Christian History Institute, has um, now alongside, I should mention, alongside his work um, in, uh, you know, producing uh, major films, uh, he was, uh, he started a company, Gateway Films, that that produced a ton Mm. of Christian material that churches uh, and other institutions, camps, and so forth have been using for many, many decades mm-hmm. now. And all of this is being transferred to a channel on the Internet called Redeem TV at no cost to the viewer. Redeem TV? Redeem, yes. Redeem TV. It's a channel that they can um, uh, find on the Internet uh, and the entire archive not only of this magazine, uh-huh. but um, Torchlighters, which is a series of uh, animated uh, videos for young people, mm-hmm. um, and the Vision Video Archive, which is a dramatic film. This is all Christian material. Dramatic film, biographies, and so forth are all available, no cost whatsoever. Wow. Now, this magazine, uh, how, how do people, if they want to subscribe to it, what do they do? Well, go to that website and subscribe. As a matter of fact... You mean Christian, uh, ChristianHistory.org? Or ChristianHistoryMagazine.org? Yes, okay. that's right. ChristianHistoryMagazine, thank you, .org. And um, on that site, you can use a code 
which is CH for Christian History, mm-hmm. 149, which is the number of this particular current issue. Right. And uh, use that in the subscription process, and you'll get a year's free subscription uh, to the magazine. You can't purchase a subscription. It's only by donation. Mm-hmm. But uh, those that, that uh, wish to get a free subscription, either because of a financial problem or right. uh, they just like to take a look at it, those who support the ministry want them to have it in their hands because that's why that's how people get interested in history is when yeah. they see it living yeah. in the, on the pages of the magazine as they read it. It's great. Okay. So uh, one of the things that was developing in the early church, and when we talk about the early church, actually we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church uh, after the Roman bishops began to take hold, uh, the papacy began to take hold around 500 A.D., 4-500 A.D. And uh, uh, in that process, this whole issue of power, perks, and position began to develop on steroids. And we want to pick up on that uh, when we get back for the break to see what was really going on there in the heart of the church and Christian leadership. It didn't sound very Christian. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking about this matter of reformation and revival in God's house. We call it the church. Uh you might use a capital C for church. You might use a small C for church. I'll leave it up to you as to how you want to see that. But let's talk about what was really going on. When we talk about the early church, we're talking in large measure from his historical standpoint. It, it devolves around the early uh, years of the Roman Catholic Church from about, uh, say, Four to 500 A.D., when the bishops of Rome began to gain dominion so powerful that even the emperor of Rome did not want to go up against a bishop. That's how powerful it became. You talk about power, perks, and position, that's what happened. And these were Gentile professing Christians because the Jews basically had been, well... They were Jews. They weren't respected much in Rome. 
and neither were the early Christians coming from Palestine. But the Gentiles there in Rome that were embracing the faith developed this system that became known as the Roman Catholic Church. And in that process, they picked up a practice that was shown in the book of Acts chapter 8, where a guy by the name of Simon Magnus tried to buy the power of the apostles because of what he saw. From there on, the Roman Catholic Church and its clergy and others that were seeking power tried to barter that power for money. What was that called, Michael? Simony. After Simon Magnus, right? That's right. That's right. And it was a horrific practice which made money not the anointing of God, not the Spirit of the Lord, not the authority of the Word of God, but the power of money that conferred leadership. Well, this illustrates what we were speaking of earlier, uh, talking about how we we know the church needs uh, re- reforming. Uh, we know we need revival. Right. Uh, but do we really believe it? So these Romans, um, uh, actually, uh, there's a great article in, the, in this issue, Countering Insults and Shame, mm-hmm. um, subtitled uh, Pope Gregory VII, the Cisternians, and the the Cisternians tried to reform the Church from both above and below. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that sound familiar? Right. Um, But here's here's what was going on. They knew that this uh, purchasing of uh, a priest uh, position, a bishop, a cardinal, a pope, even a pope, um, was up for sale. And they were trying to reform that. And it took hundreds of years for it to be officially uh, eradicated. Uh, frankly, it's still there. It's still there in spirit, isn't it? Well, not only in spirit, but in uh, checkbook, I'm afraid. Uh, but, you know, way back in 1015, when uh, a man named Hildebrand was born, they were struggling with this. Well, Hild- Hildebrand came up through the ranks, knew all about this, and eventually became king, uh, sorry, king, to became Pope, Pope Gregory VII. Uh-huh. And he started a tremendous reform campaign, and, and he called this uh, a campaign for truth. Um, bless his soul, he had the right idea. Did he actually apply it? Well, not really, and that's what we were talking about before. What is wrong with us? Uh, we just simply cannot seem to sustain these reform movements. But as you brought out uh, earlier, um, reform is is uh, always needed in the church. And you quoted you, you quoted the author of one of the uh, of the of the lead article here. Um, there will always be reform. And uh, this uh, this article that I mentioned, uh, there were two two very significant movements that came out of that. People got so um, 
disheartened and and rebellious because here here's the Pope and he can apply all of this power, this enormous power. And by the way, the source of that power was that the Pope was able to um, uh, uh, what is it? Discommunicate <laughs> to excommunicate. Yeah. Thank you. Excommunicate a king. And the kings, there's a great reference to uh, King Henry, uh, you know, caught in the snow, uh, helpless, uh, fearing for his life that he might be excommunicated from the Catholic Church, which he was trying to reform himself. So you had two reformers, (laughs) both the king and the pope, uh, saying that they wanted to reform the church. And uh, really what it amounted to is that they, they wanted each other's job. <laughs> In other words, again, uh, it was about power, perks, and position. Yeah, it was the perks and the position. They it has happen. nothing to do with the spiritual nature of things. It was about power and who's going to have the power, who's going to wield the authority, and just the opposite of the Spirit of Christ and the Apostles. And sadly, we can look back these many, many centuries and um, criticize these people. Sadly, we must uh, look at our own selves, Mm. because this is going on in the Church today. Uh, We have people that uh, are telling us that we don't need the Old Testament anymore, we have people saying that it's okay to, um, you know, marry someone of the same sex. Um, and, th- and this is right in the church. Yeah. Uh, or That's in the Protestant church and in the Catholic church. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, just and- in the last two weeks, we've had Pope Francis that has defrocked two prominent bishops because they had the willingness to stand for what the Bible had to say about these yes. issues. And he said, not on my watch, you're out of here, and he defrocked them. In other words, it was the it was kind of this one step below excommunication. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's deplorable. Um, and, of course, these... Uh, Heresies and uh, terrible um, <clears throat> power being wielded by homosexuals, by um, pedophiles uh, in that church. Uh, the support of them goes, it, it can be traced right to the top um, and all the way to the bottom as well. So you've got uh, <coughs> folks who have been, uh, whose lives have been damaged by this. And you at the bottom, and you have uh, at the top the officials who are giving them a pass, giving these criminals a pass. The um, there's a there's an amazing uh, website called Church Militant, uh-huh. it's a Catholic um, ministry that um, is trying to teach Catholics what their faith actually is, what their church actually is, and they are brutal. Uh, in their denunciation, uh, not only of this pope, but of the entire priesthood, which they say is is uh, ruled by a homosexual cabal. So we have need for reform. No question about it. But the question is, let's suppose we get the reform. That doesn't necessarily mean a revival, does it? 
No, it doesn't. And uh, just because we get revivals doesn't mean we're going to have reform. So you, you bring out a very good point that we need to understand these terms. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I thought your introduction was brilliant because you, you define what revival truly means, and that is something that goes on in the church. In the, in the heart of the people, right. Yes, in their hearts and minds. <clears throat> and, um, uh, for instance, uh, that uh, uh, Tate, who wrote the uh, lead article for this uh-huh. issue, um, brings up, the, uh, reminds us of this Asbury revival that took place at uh, Asbury College. Uh-huh. Uh, that's Jennifer Wood, Woodward, Woodford uh, Tate, who's the uh, managing editor of the magazine, does a great job and wrote the lead article. Right. Uh, she talks about that uh, revival, and as we know, that revival enjoyed uh, a, a flush of press and attention, but disappeared very, very quickly. Very quickly. You know... Give another illustration of this. Back in 1992, uh, we had uh, the uh, Gulf War, and people were scared to death. It was shock and awe, uh, mm-hmm. bombs bursting in air, and uh, people were afraid. They were becoming very patriotic, putting yellow ribbons on every tree. And uh, Time magazine noted that it seemed like there was a great revival. And pastors were saying, this is the revival we've been praying for. Well, then Time Magazine discerned this. That wasn't really happening at all. It was a pretense of a revival. People were flooding back to church, but here's what they said. People are flooding back to church, but church will never again be the same. Why? Because Americans are looking for a custom-made God one made in their own image. So it wasn't revival, not a spiritual revival. It was a radical change of Christianity. People were creating a false god in the form of American feelings, and the church was going to suffer. Within three months of that supposed revival, everything changed, and they said... It was worse spiritually than we had been before the war. We'll be right back after this, friends. The nature of revival, reformation, going back to the first thousand, fifteen hundred years of the church after the birth of Christ, uh, after the resurrection of Christ. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? 
Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Well, a question arises after that break. If Christ is building his church... Who's building the church that we now see? Jesus said, I'll build my church. You make disciples. Apparently, we decided to build churches and not make disciples, because making a disciple means to teach people to obey everything that God has commanded. That's the Great Commission. You see, we have a problem. We can look at what happened in history, but maybe, maybe we ought to be looking a little more acutely at what's happening right in front of our eyes. Well, there was a fellow back in the, uh, his name was Joaquim Fiore, and uh, he said that the West, the Western world was Babylon. He compared Christendom to Babylon because he said, everybody wants money, power, and worldly fame. You know what he said that? Just after 1200 A.D. That was a fur piece back, wasn't it, Michael? Wow. That's that's amazing. Um, I I tell you what, uh, Chuck, I'm I'm encouraged uh, by this issue. Uh, In what way? Well, I've learned so much. I was very ignorant of what led up to the Reformation. I know a lot about the Reformation. Uh-huh. Um, I know a lot about the very early church, but um, I was grateful uh, to read this. It's not perfect, but it is very edifying. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I discovered was that so many of these, uh, we know about these um, orders that uh, had came about, uh, these movements. Um, there are dozens and dozens of them that came out of the Catholic Church. I didn't, I frankly did not realize it. Uh, I may have ha- had a notion about this, but this issue brought home that every one of them was an attempt to reform the Church. Uh-huh. And the it's Church true. found ways to convert that movement and that zeal that the, um, that, that, those who started them, uh, and to turn those organizations around for their own purpose, um, you know the either uh, that or to stamp it out. They stamped many of them out. Mm-hmm. Yes, they attempted to stamp others out that survived or went off and started a, another uh, denomination. Um, but uh, yes, it, it was um, uh, prior to the Reformation. These years that uh, are covered here, uh, uh, 1100s, 12, 13, 14, leading up to the Re- Reformation, Reformation was going on everywhere. Yeah, it was. Uh, 
I mean, yeah, guys yeah. like John Wycliffe or Wycliffe, uh, oh, and, the, yeah. and it was uh, John Huss, uh, yeah. they were all part of a uh, Reformation spirit uh, that said, look, we've got to get the reality of the Bible and the gospel in the hands of the people and get it out of the exclusive hands of the clergy because they are keeping the truth from the people. Yes, and um, our Father in Heaven may be doing something with that church, that Roman church, um, through Francis and some of these other characters that are uh, on display to us Mm. every day because uh, that church in America, there's not a single uh, diocese, I understand, from the research done by uh, Church Militant, there's not a single uh, Catholic diocese in this country that has not spent multiple millions and sometimes billions keeping their priests out of jail. That's astounding. Oh, oh, oh. oh my goodness. Well, then you had a guy by the name of Savonarola uh, mm. who was actually... Uh, attempting to bring about a spiritual revival, and uh, they didn't like it. And so they decided, hey, away with you, and they hanged him. You you hit upon the, my, my uh, favorite character in this issue. Um, what an inspiration. This was an inspired preacher in Florence, Italy, mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, gathering uh, thousands, multiple thousands at his... Uh, sermon, and was supported by the Church in the beginning, right? as so many of these Reformers were. But as they saw the, uh, the genuine, uh, you know, fervor of these people for change, and they realized that that was going to upset their perks and privileges, just as the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to them directly, the same ones that uh, uh, that were attacking him in Florence, um, concerned about their their perks and their privileges and their salaries, as opposed to truth. So, yeah, we we have this um, this amazing emergency going on. I'm reminded of Elijah, reminded uh, reminded of Elijah saying to the Father. Uh, they're going to kill me. I'm the only one left. And the father said, uh, 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 no, I have 7,000 who have not been to me. Our father in heaven has his, uh, he has his remnant. Yeah. And, uh, well, he's got you out there, Michael. And I, I just, uh, am so thrilled, so blessed, uh, that, uh, we've had the privilege of fellowshipping together for years now, periodically, to discuss these various issues of Christian History magazine. Uh, They link our hearts, they link our our goals, our purposes, and when we were finally able to meet in person at the National Religious Broadcasters a few years ago, it it was such a blessing. There's something about being able to connect in with the brothers and sisters of like heart and mind, isn't there? Well, that was a divine appointment that I praise the Lord for, because uh, so much fruit has uh, uh, born out of that. And um, you you stole where I was going with my comments. I was going to uh, uh, 
congratulate you for your legacy and and thank you for being a small part of what you do. Um, and you know we we serve a mighty God, yeah. And we serve a a supernatural God, and He is. Uh, we know the times that we're in, and we're so privileged to be alive at this time. I'm so glad to be alive. Uh, because I, I believe that he's using me. I know he's using you. Um, and he will, um, you know, he's told us how this is all going to work out. It is um, going to, it's going to work out, but it's going to be a remnant. Jesus made that clear. The apostles made it clear. Uh, it's something that uh, people don't like to think about uh, because they think that, uh, you know, untold billions are going to be coming into the kingdom in a great harvest. Uh, well, there will be some sort of a harvest, but it's not going to be untold billions. Uh, Jesus said, precious few there will be that find the straight and narrow way. One of those who had tremendous influence on a positive uh, state uh, there in the earlier church was uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, I used to sing a song, a wonderful song that came from his words, uh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith, and so on. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And uh, he uh, had tremendous influence. Uh, There might have been some things to criticize about it, but I think fundamentally his influence was a profoundly positive and spiritual influence, wasn't it? Yes, I really appreciate the story as it's told in this issue of his life, I did. I knew very little about him, but what an inspiration! And he did what he did, basically, from my reading of of his history. He he did it without the church. That was that. You know, his. In other words, without the formality of church authority, and uh, yeah. Thank you. It, it was That's almost right. like a parachurch ministry, wasn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It was an individual movement that did not rely because they they refused to accept those perks and those salaries. Yeah. And those privileges, which was uh, quite astounding. And of course, these leaders that began those move movements, very few of them. His, I think, it was an exception in in how long it lasted. I don't know of its condition now, but. Um, uh, they don't last very long. Yeah. So many of these heroes of the faith, those who came after, even though they were a part of the movement, um, really uh, very, very hard to sustain uh, the, the original vision of yeah. the originators. And I think that's, that's something that we should accept as a, as a way that our Father works. He doesn't work through organizations. Right. He works with individuals. Yeah. Well, that's the anointing that he puts on people's lives, uh, whether it be John the Baptist, whether it be uh, Peter or John or uh, uh, Jesus, anybody, the one that he anoints, those are the ones that uh, are the special voices that God raises up for unique times in history that A.W. Tozer was talking about. And a lot of people resist those voices. Most people do. Uh, hopefully. You, know, you, you reminded me of his, um, of Tozier, 
he wrote uh, many years ago, before we have these TV series, he wrote a, a, a wonderful in-depth article on the dangers of movies that try to predict, uh, depict our Lord and Savior. Mm-mm-mm. And yeah. we have one now that is, I, I think, is falling apart as it should. But this um, this uh, uh, series um, that, that goes on that so many people are enamored with, mm-hmm. uh, there's no way that you cannot add and subtract from Scripture in presenting something like that. And yeah. you're warned against that yeah. uh, by our Savior. And, yeah. But again, we have not yeah. paid attention. We haven't heard, gotten the message. <laughs> All right. The, the magazine, Christian History Magazine, friends... And uh, Michael Austin has been our guest here today on the program uh, to talk about this latest issue called Revival of the First Thousand Years. It's about Reformation and Revival up through actually about 1500. One of the things I appreciate about it, right in the middle of each one of these magazines, is a calendar uh, of, of the history showing in a, ver- in a two-page spread. You can just look at it, and you can see what God was doing, how it was happening, it is uh, somebody's put real insight and uh, effort into this magazine, not just this issue, but every single issue. So I encourage you to get a hold of it. Uh, Michael's here to let us know about it. Uh, So again, Michael, how can people get a hold of it? ChristianHistoryMagazine.org, that's O-R-G. Uh, go on that site and uh, go ahead and subscribe. You can use that CH148 um, or is it 149? Let me take a quick look. Yeah, it's 149. It's 149, CH149 code, and get a free uh, a free issue, a free year subscription to the magazine. What a uh, tremendous blessing. Michael, I remember uh, a year or two ago, you were suffering greatly. In fact, you were virtually on your deathbed. And God gave you uh, a new lease on life. How is it going? It's going wonderfully well. I praise him every day, of course, whether I'm improving or whether I'm declining. And um, apparently, according to the test that I'm taking... I do that. I improve. I decline. I improve. I decline. Sounds but, uh, like sounds like life's history. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the history of the church. <laughs> well, he he has me right where he wants me. Yeah. And he to me is right where I want him, and that's the center of my life, the center Amen. of my heart and mind. And what a blessing he is. Well, what a blessing you are as well. Thanks, folks, for joining us here today on Viewpoint. Get Avail yourself of the magazine, ChristianHistoryMagazine.org. And to become a partner, send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries, friends. Do it today. Don't delay. We actually are seeking to revive the church in our day. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me